sir. Whatever I touch turns to snow in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. <laughs> He's Mr. White Christmas. He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Icicle. He's Mr. Tenderloin. So anyway, that's the background of the argument, is man-made CO2 causing the climate to warm. And the, the, all the scientific data is, no, it's not. Okay, guys, welcome back to America. We're going to be talking with Dr. Don Easterbrook a little bit later on about some global cooling. But uh, first... As always, in the brand new uh, studio. How's it going tonight, The Grant? Igloo 2. Yeah, I'm doing Igloo, good, buddy. Igloo 2.0. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'd, I'd also like to welcome Red Pill Junkie uh, here for our intro. It's been a while, Red. How you doing? Hey, guys. How's it going? Nice to hear that you have settled down in your new abode. Well, I wish we were settled down. It's not quite settled down yet, but... And your last fucking panel just fell off the wall. <laughs> We're trying to put soundproof paneling up, and it's just falling off everywhere. So we both lose. Brian fell down first. It was like a slow game of chess. They, we had six each, and it took about 15 minutes before all 12 were on the ground. Graham won by about three minutes. So we're not quite settled. But your, your audio sounds good, Red. Yeah, thanks. Well, yours too. I mean, uh, I don't know how necessary the sound panels are needed, you know. Yeah, we see. I mean, worst case, it covers up the wood paneling in the room. <laughs> the treehouse. Now we're, in the summer, we come from the tree fort. Nice. So, Red, what's been going on? What do you What do you got for us? Do you have any strange stories or news items? Uh, well, not much, really. You know, I guess that after the uh, Malaysia Airlines news, <laughs> like there's been some kind of a vacuum of uh, interesting content. You what know, but if, where are we at with that anyway? Well, I kind of lost I, interest. Yeah, I think that the Prime Minister of Malaysia announced that, well, they are pretty certain that the plane uh, was uh, uh, crashed on the, in the, in, on the sea in a very remote area. So there's no chance that there was uh, any survivors, which was, I don't know, I think that that was what everybody thought already. You know? I mean, how many days have passed since the plane was lost? Yeah. Was it a zombie plane? I heard some zombie plane talk. That fits right in with my... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's still a, pretty, uh, a lot of un unanswered questions. I mean, uh, for example, what, what caused the accident in the first... In the first uh, I think that eventually they are going to... Um, admit that there was some kind of fire, maybe caused by the lithium batteries that the, that the plane was carrying on, their car, on the cargo. Um, mm. But then again, you, need, you also need to answer why was the transponder uh, shut down. People say that it was deliberately turned off, and after that, the, the plane veered off their uh, predestined route to where whatever it is, it is that they eventually uh, crashed. Hmm. 
Do you, ever, do you ever think that, uh, like, I reserved an opinion. I kind of really just stayed away from this whole thing. But when it's all said and done after all this time, I, I can't help but think, and, and I'd like to know what you think, Red, mm-hmm. that that uh, it could be some sort of black ops test on how we all react and how, how everybody investigates and treats this whole thing. My personal opinion is that this was some kind of maybe a smoke screen screen campaign. I I, I watched a daily show video uh, today in which Jon Stewart was mocking how CNN uh, was trying to cover the the story, you know. uh, They really get to they really made a stretch on how to try to to keep it pertinent you know they they <laughs> they used a little airplane models they used oh. a fake cockpit that would be funny actually know. watching they the even, spoof on that yeah they even started talking about uh, the bermuda triangle and yeah. black holes yeah, and yeah. even talking about uh, psychics and remote viewing you know <laughs> i think that if the if uh, if it got if he had kept going a week more, they would have invited Yuri, Yuri fucking Geller, you know, to, to talk and to, to give, uh, to predict where the plane actually crashed, you know. And then uh, John Stewart uh, talked about how Fox News was mocking CNN and, and covering their coverage, and <laughs> it was some kind of strange news loops, and all this time. I've been keeping thinking, you know, isn't there some more more pressing news in the yeah, world? Yeah. You know, like yeah. you know how uh, Russia uh, decided to 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 annex Crimea to their territory. You know how you know the fucking Cold War is kind of uh, re- being rekindled as we speak. Yeah, not, yeah. Not to mention all the problems in Venezuela, you know, closer to, to home, you know, uh, all the problems with uh, the, the, all the pro- public protests and all the people that have been killed, you know, by the government repressing the protests. But anyway, that's that's all my only my personal opinion. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty sad actually how we how we glom onto all those news stories like that. I mean, maybe. Uh, maybe it's the idea that we can't tolerate the fact that a plane could be lost in the sea in this day and age when we think uh, we have this like delusion that we are, we are already living in such an interconnected and little world that the idea that a plane <laughs> could be lost and reminding us of, of just how freaking fucking big and still inexplored our planet is it was just you know in, too intolerable for our collective uh, consciousness yeah maybe that's a good point hmm. we had to come up with something hmm. yeah, exactly you know we can't tolerate an, an enigma and say oh well it was lost and who knows where it crashed and maybe we'll never find the remains no 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 we can't have that you know I mean Jesus, you know, the NSA has technology in which they can track down some Al-Qaeda militant living in Yemen using either uh, 
their WhatsApp messages, but what we can track down a plane with 230 people, uh, all of them wearing uh, cell phones. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I guess we'll never know. Well, they'll find the black box eventually. I think that in a couple of weeks they're going to find something. You know, they're going to find some um, uh, debris, you know, some metal remains or, or something. Hopefully. So, yeah. uh, so for those of our listeners that that don't know you, Red Red Pill Junkie uh, blogs for a bunch of different uh, websites, and uh, especially. One of our favorites, Mysterious Universe, right? Where you do the weekly red pills of the week. Mm-hmm. So, do you got anything? Got anything from uh, from com- coming up on that? <laughs> what the fuck Maybe. is going on over there? Hey, Graham's having a studio problem, Graham's technical problem. Problem. Mm. Well, I mean, I, re- I, ha- I really haven't found uh, a lot of news this week. The only, I think, the biggest news right now is that. Facebook bought the Oculus Rift <laughs> uh, virtual reality technology for $2 billion, and all the nerds are in a rage because of that. Do you guys, do you guys know what the Oculus Rift is? Uh, uh, yeah, man. Virtual reality shit? Yeah, my, my sister's friend on the island, who we're, we might have on the podcast, actually is developing a virtual reality game, or actually uh, one of the... I'm not sure if it's like a platform for it but he was at the conference maybe when that whole announcement happened and he was getting lots of interest from uh, from the big guys so that's pretty cool yeah so well what is interesting is to try to analyze just why facebook which is a social media uh, company decided to acquire this kind of technology which right now is more uh, focused on things like uh, game consoles, you know, like uh, more like uh, first-person per- shooters video games, you know, I don't know, Candy Crush Saga, which is the kind of things that Facebook Facebook users <laughs> tend to spend their time with. They yeah, but can't you imagine? Meetups. So can't you imagine everybody who's on Facebook gets their Oculus Rift glasses and they've got their little virtual character and they can all be connected through some sort of virtual reality Facebook in your living room kind of thing? Maybe, but not until at least uh, 10 years. Because I think that the technology is not only in its infancy and there's still uh, there need to iron some technical problems with it. I think that people, uh, early adopters have complained that when you use the Oculus Rift too long that you eventually get a lot of headaches because of the... Um, there are some lag problems, you know, with the uh, frame uh, uh, frame speed or, or, or however, whatever you call it. But anyway, uh, uh, I think that uh, right now only dedicated gamers will be willing to spend like 200 or $300 getting one of those uh, goggles. Who knows what the fuck kind of problems that's doing to your inside of your head too. Augmented reality? Who knows? Well, I, I have uh, read in some uh, web pages something very interesting that the idea that people who play a lot of uh, first-person or third-person shooter video games that they 
get to have uh, a lot more uh, vivid and lucid dreams. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they are able, you know, they are used to disconnect their, um, how do you call it, your consciousness, you know, from your physical self. You know, it's, it's secondhand. Or they're eating wax of psychedelics all the time. I hope probably too that. Well, maybe, but then again, with the, the psychedelics, you have all other uh, elements playing with your altered state of consciousness. You know, whatever. <laughs> Whereas with uh, uh, video games, you know, classic video games is more of a well. Yeah, but e- well, even even. Basic lucid dreaming training is, is, you know, flicking light switches on and off uh, in, you know, in real life or tell, asking yourself repeatedly through the day, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Is this a dream? Is this a dream? So that <laughs> yeah. when you go to sleep, what's so mm-hmm. funny? So when you go to sleep, you know, you do that in your dream, right? I mean, that's the most basic of the training. So imagine playing a third-person video game all, all night long. Then when you finally go to sleep, you're kind of still in the game. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. You know, you you still have you know uh, day that. residue. Game exactly. face. So your game face on. Yeah, nice way to nice way to put it. So do you say that shit out loud all day? Yeah. Like no. you're like the guy at the yeah. gym on the bike. <laughs> am like, I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Yeah. Do you pretend you're singing so you dream? don't look quite as fucking crazy? <laughs> well, I think that the, the, the actual goal of, uh, of those practices is to uh, consciously realize that uh, consensual reality is also an illusion. You need it's those, a sure illusion. You need those glasses. Because then one day you're in your dream and you say to yourself automatically, because you've been doing it in real life, you say, am I dreaming? And then you go, holy fuck, I am dreaming. And then you can How fly. How do you know? Because you turn the light switch and it doesn't work. Or you look at your hands and you can realize that those aren't your hands. It's very difficult to explain why you uh, you become aware that you are dreaming. Am I dreaming? No. <laughs> are you <Maybe>. dreaming? <laughs> yeah, it is difficult to explain, but there's many different ways you can. Once you once the question gets asked in your dream, you can read a piece of paper, and if you read it again, it's something different. That's a sign that you're dreaming. Got to do paper. Or, no, read words, I should say. Yeah. Turns out I'm not dreaming. (laughs) That's a bummer. (laughs) Fly right out of this motherfucker. Um, So... I wanted to plug the the Paradigm 2014. Uh, We were talking to to Micah recently and and John and, and Scotty and... Uh, you were you were looking into it a little bit, eh? We've got some a guest list now. Yeah, I was ju- I was just looking at the Paradigm Symposium uh, webpage, paradigmsymposium.com, where they have updated the uh, the speaker list for this year's event, and it's pretty pretty sweet. You know, a lot of big names in it. And this is uh, October second to the fifth. It's a big, uh, big symposium in St. Paul, Minnesota, this year. I th- no, I think it's going to be in Minneapolis this year. Ooh, okay. same, same place. Yeah, at the Win- just across no. the street. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does say Minneapolis, huh? Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Women's Club of Minneapolis. Yeah, Women's Club. Hmm. 
What is it like the YMCA? Or no, why is it the YWCA? I guess. Anyway, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Von Daniken's coming back. We're supposed to have a chat with him there, so that'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah Von Daniken is going back. Uh, obviously, our friend Incredfern is coming back. Eli Marsul is coming back. Obviously, Dr. John Ward is coming back. Mr. Leith Scranton is coming back. Norrie John and Larry Flaxman are also coming back. They were at the first Paradigm Symposium in 2012. Uh, the Weatherman is also coming back this year. That's great. Mr. E-W. Dan Madsen. Yeah, Dan Madsen also is coming back. And I must admit that the, the, the two, the three that are, that are of the speakers that are exciting me the most are Graham Cancock. Graham Hancock, the, uh, you know, the famous author of Fingerprints of the Gods and many other uh, books. John Anthony West, you know, everybody who has seen that uh, very famous documentary be, uh, about his work and uh, Robert Shock's, you know, The Mysteries of the Sphinx, mm-hmm. they, w- they should know who he is. And Richard Dolan, you know, one of my favorite ufologists, you know, is going to be also... Uh, this year, and I can't wait to have a, a chance to talk with him. Yeah, we're really trying to get Richard and, and Graham on the show, too. Uh, those yeah. are two of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully we can line that up soon. Yeah, also yeah, our friend Chase Klotsky is going to be there. You know, that it's going to be great, great to uh, meet with her again. Yeah, for sure. So I'm gonna, we're going to link to that in the show notes, and people can check out uh, Paradigm symposium 2014 yeah hopefully or i shall be making my re-emergence hopefully hopefully <gasps> what do you mean hopefully isn't it a, isn't it a given by now yeah it should be how many months away is it uh yeah zero chance the wife will be giving birth <laughs> so i should be good to go um uh yeah well you're the you might as well head over to the Gralian report too i think uh I think most of our listeners probably know Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report. They just fired up their uh, their subscribe uh, Scribe, subscriber section called Grayling X kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Head over. It's seven bucks a month or something like that. Bonus episodes, kind of the same same idea as Mysterious Universe. With uh, I think they were talking about doing some excursions and stuff like that. So uh, head on over and uh, and show some support to the to the Grayling Report. Yeah, maybe we should ask Micah to come, to come to Grimerica to explain a bit more about what the Grillian-esque subscription will entail. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we should do that like in the next intro or something, Darren. We'll have Micah Hanks on again. Yeah. We're in touch with him quite a bit. It's, uh, yeah, he's got a good show over there, and we want to support him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of supporting, there's a way you can support our podcast and actually have a chance to win a little money back. That's called the money bomb. Right there. Oh, well, no, you're not, you're not, you don't win it. You what? what? Don't win the money. What do you win? Or what, what happens? We just give someone some money. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to say win. Okay. So we give somebody half the money back. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Basically uh, half of what we take in in the month and donations and subscriptions, we will give back every month to a lucky listener. Yeah. And that's to a minimum of a hundred bucks. So if we got 130 bucks one month, we give a hundred bucks back. Yeah. If we have less than a hundred, then we just carry over. 
Um, so the end of the month is coming up quick. We're not quite at, uh, not quite there yet. So uh, we'll need a big weekend to be giving away some money on the yeah. next show. Yeah, we got eight people uh, signed up already. So um, if we don't get uh, enough this month, it'll carry over to April. Yeah. So this is coming out on Friday. You guys got till uh, Monday at midnight, and then uh, then we uh, start Money Bomb Two or Money Bomb One Point One. Yeah. So what do you think about that concept, Red? I love it, you know. Uh, I think that uh, I mentioned it uh, the last time I was with you guys, how I really appreciate uh, the concept of the money bump, you know. It's a very cool, very encouraging uh, economic method to support uh, original content on the web, you know, uh, as a way to, to, to like, uh, like I said uh, that day, you know, like a self-reinforcing uh, loop of uh, goodwill, as it were. A karma loop. Yeah, karma loop. Yeah, nice, exactly. So, and, uh, of course, uh, other ways to support us, uh, you can send, uh, of course, there's always post our flyer at a nice busy location and send us a pic and that'll do it. Or send us a postcard. We got a postcard already all the way uh, from over the pond. Yeah, yeah you, don't, you don't need to send in, in money to qualify. No. Yeah, exactly. Postcard or uh, picture of the flyer is no cost entry. And, uh, of course, other ways are we always need uh, music, so uh, we were lucky enough to come under another musician that's uh, offered her services. Speaking of which, Who I is think it? you guys have a, a new uh, jingle for the UFO quotes. We do. Should yeah, we, we do. We'll be we playing that. No, I'll sneak it in. I, I like <laughs> that. I, I want to make the UFO. I think I, we're going to do the UFO quote of the week on my terms. And I'm just gonna sneak it in or whatever, because I'll have the button that'll play the jingle. So no, we got some we got some uh, music from uh, Mike Church, Pablo Pax. So we're gonna link to his website, and Darren's gonna play some of his music in this episode. Pretty yeah. cool music, and we want to thank uh, Mike a lot for sending it in. Yeah, and of course the jingle that's uh, fucking super cool too. That was uh, where do I have it here? That was uh, Hitmo Yoho. At Gitmo Yoho on Twitter. No, he's he's also got a few jingles for the No Agenda show, so that's a pretty good company. He says, uh, take care and keep fighting the good fight, homies. So big thanks, Aaron. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, well, you guys will hear it a little bit later at my discretion. Like I say, I'm taking over the timing of the UFO quote of the week. We want to say, we want to say, catch uh, him off guard. More feedback, too. We want to say hi to Neil from the UK. He wrote us in and said, uh, word up, Grimerica. He, he. Just a real quick message to say, fucking love your... I'm trying to do my English accent. <laughs> love your... And it keeps me going on the lonely night shift. He's unfortunate enough to have to work. He sent us money for the money bomb. Hope you got it. Keep up the good work to another gazillion episodes. Huh? Gazillion is in the dictionary? What the fuck? Anyways, thanks, Neil. Yeah. yeah, thanks. I mean, it's really encouraging to think that uh, someone is uh, going through their uh, night shift or their work day, you know, and they're listening they're, uh, assholes. Listening, ex exactly, you know, and they're get, getting something out of it. At least, you know, trying to, to, to make their day less boring, you know. Yeah, That's exactly. And hopefully they learn something and, you know, they 
they uh, enjoy the open-minded conversation we try and have here. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's nice to think that we're, you know, contributing something to, to someone's lives, you know, to someone that we uh, more than likely will never have a chance to, to meet in person. But nevertheless, yeah. you know, we have at least this kind of connection. Yeah, there's only a few days left in Spam Gram month, too. So I figured, what the hell, let's carry it over for one more month. So we'll, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Studio 2.0 will have Spam Gram month 2.0. So let's try and double the spam for gram at gramerica.com. <laughs> That's gram, not as in G-R-A-M, as in Darren pronounces it. It's G-R-A-H-A-M. H. As in Graham Cracker. <laughs> So I think it's time for the UFO quote of the week. No, not yet. Oh, what else do you guys... Hey, speaking of UFOs, did you guys see that uh, that John Lennon's uh, UFO doodle that was actioned off? No. It was this uh, like sketch that John Lennon drew that was supposed to be used for one of uh, his album's covers. Uh, I think the album's uh, the, the album's sleep for walls and bridges. But the, wor- the the thing that is worth mentioning is that apparently it, it was inspired by, by an actual sighting that John Lennon had with his then uh, girlfriend. Uh, what is the name? Kyoko. No, 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 no. It was the, 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 the time when he got separated from Joko and decided to spend some time with his um, quote-unquote secretary. I think the name of this woman is May Pang. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is that uh, they were in New York and, and I guess after a good night of uh, sweet loving, you know, the John decided to go for take a, a bit of fresh air on the balcony, completely on the news, and he saw, you know, this huge, uh, like a flattened cone object that came uh, closer to him, you know, and he yelled to Mei Pang to 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 run over and, and to, to see the object and uh, apparently they saw him saw the object for between five and ten minutes and apparently they weren't the, the only ones to, to, to see it because uh, it was mentioned in the news the next day and uh, even though John Lennon was already a very, a very interesting UFO phenomenon. I think that the 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 event had had a huge impression in him. You know, I think that what is what it was one of the reasons that he decided to to draw this uh, doodle, and also I think that is what one of the reasons why he kind of mentions in passing the event in one of his uh, songs, like the song that uh, nobody told me. That's funny. Did you hear Rogan and uh, Shane Smith, the new one, talking about Jackie Gleason drinking with Nixon, and uh, Nick, yeah. Nixon took him to see the UFO? Ah, uh, did Shane? Did Shane mention that story? Rogue Joe did. Ah, uh, Joe mentioned that story. That that that's a great story, you know. Uh, and it's so ridiculous that I think that it has some core of truth in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the idea that Jackie was such a friend of uh, Nixon, they played golf together. I think that they were so uh, such friends because I think Jackie let 
Richard Wing once in a while. <laughs> have you have you guys uh, ever heard of the book called Alien Rock? Alien Alien Rock. I think it's called Alien Rock or Rock UFO. It's got UFOs and rock, but it's about all about musicians and their UFO slash alien experiences. And I guess that I guess how it influences their music or maybe not, maybe just about about them. But I heard this guy, the author, and I'll have to look it up again on a podcast years ago. And, and man, it is just pervasive throughout the music industry. Like how many people oh, yeah, have actually sure. had experiences? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we already talked about John Lennon. I know that David Bowie uh, saw a UFO once. I know that Robbie Williams was uh, pretty obsessed with UFOs a couple of years ago. I mean, he also, he virtually uh, literally abandoned his career just to spend some time hunting for UFOs. Yeah. Uh, there's this other guy. One of the Van Halen guys, isn't it? Yeah. he. Yeah, the guy who then uh, opened the Cabo Wabo yeah, restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says that he was abducted by aliens. Huh. Speaking of abducted by aliens, do you have a uh, quote of the week for us, Grab? <laughs> I do. Let's hear it. Profound quote of the week. <laughs> that must be your new jingle it is very good i like it thank yeah. you i have to say that um i'm reading this word for word and uh the english is not always perfect or the grammar is not always perfect so i'm just kind of reading it word for word so some of these quotes may not sound the smoothest so this is according to worthy information of faith in our atmosphere, objects arrive at high speed. No aircraft, neither in the United States, either in the Soviet Union, is currently able to achieve the speed attributed to these objects from the radars and from the observatories. These objects appear to be driven by an intelligence the way in which they fly. According to reports from scientists and technical personnel, these objects fly in formation and finish maneuvers that seem to point out that are not completely driven from an automatic equipment. <laughs> these objects are in incontestable mode the result of long investigations and highly technological and exceptional knowledge. That's from Admiral S. Farney, the head of missile testing for the American Navy. Nice. I also have a uh, UFO quote here. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> from, John, from John Lennon himself. Here's what he said. If the masses started to accept UFOs, it would profoundly affect their attitudes toward life, politics, everything. It would threaten the status quo. Whenever people come to realize that there are larger considerations than their own petty little lives, they are ripe to make radical changes on a personal level, which will eventually lead to a political revolution in society as a whole. Wow. I love it. I love that quote. You know, I, I, I completely agree. It, it, UFOs are agents of uh, social instability. You know, they are, they are a threat to the uh, governments and a threat to the status quo 
just because of that, not because aliens are coming here to you know to to start an invasion or something, no, but because their very existence you know makes people you know come to realize that there's something bigger than their uh, small little lives and their small little jobs and the and, and the small little uh, uh, neighborhood and their small little society in which they are so grown so accustomed of it kind of comes back to the war on consciousness really doesn't it exactly exactly <laughs> motherfuckers <laughs> so we're right. we talking uh, with Dr. Don here in a little bit yeah yeah this yeah. one uh this one, could, this one's a good one. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. It's it's truly fascinating how his uh, what he says just does not get really uh, talked about in the mainstream at all, and it seems uh, like it's pretty pretty strong evidence here. Yeah, I must say I'm intrigued. You know, I'm I have to say upfront that uh, I am pretty convinced that global warming is real. That we the the, the the climate cha changes that we've have, uh, observed in the last decades have, in many aspects, uh, can be attributed to, to human activity. But I want to, to listen to what uh, Dr. Don is it? Yeah, Dr. Don Easterbrook. And he's, he's a past president of the Quaternary Geological Geology and Geology Division of the Geological Society of America, Chairman of the 1977 National Geological Sur Society of America, U.S. Representative to the U.N. International Geological Correlation Program, Associate Editor of the Geological Society of America, bulleting for 15 years, and Director of Field Excursions for the 2003 International Quaternary Association Congress. And he's well, been featured in two New York Times articles on global warming, March 2007 and March 2009, and he's appeared on national network shows as MSNBC, CNN, CBS, and Fox. And people don't really want to hear what he's got to say. And now, the Grimerica <laughs> show. And now, in Grimerica. <laughs> nice. Brought to you by Forth. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Actually, I think we're cutting out the Amazon portal, too. Maybe. We'll see. For now, it could be closing, so bye now. Alrighty. Well, that does it, eh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, that about does it. I hope you guys enjoy our chat with... Uh, Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze, Dr. <laughs> Don Easterbrook, and... Uh, and uh, hopefully we don't get too much fucking hate mail. <laughs> enjoy the chat, guys. Stay cool, guys.
Okay, guys, joining us joining us in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Don Easterbrook about uh, about some climate stuff. But uh, first, how's it going, Graham? Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Looking forward to this episode with uh, Don Easterbrook. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it for a while. Actually, we we first heard a uh, heard of uh, Dr. Easterbrook on uh, one of our our favorite shows, the No Agenda Show. They were talking about him there. Um, which of course started the uh, started us down the rabbit hole, and here we are, happy to have him in Grimerica tonight. Uh, we'll have a quick bio from Graham here, and uh, we'll jump right into it with Don. Yeah, Dr. Don J. Easterbrook is uh, emeritus professor of geology at Western Washington University, where he's conducted research on global climate change in Western North America, New Zealand, Argentina, and various other parts of the world for the past forty-eight years. So he's written like three textbooks and several other books, about 150 papers, professional journals, and he's presented 30 research papers at international meetings in 12 countries. So all his, all his research has been funded by the National Science Foundation and other U.S. government agencies. And it includes causes of abrupt global climate changes following the last ice age. Relationships of cosmogenic isotopes in the ice cores to climate change, the relationships of 30-year global warming, cooling phases to modern global warming and predictions, global climate change through the next century. <clears throat> so we've, we've seen Dr. Uh, Don Easterbrook on YouTube presenting his information to a brick wall, but uh, there's no brick wall here in Grand America. We're going to be able to openly chat about, about what he's got to say. There's a lot more to talk about here, and uh, we'd like to welcome you on the show. Nice to be here. That's good. Yes. Yeah, uh, Really want to thank you for coming on, spending some time with us here. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, I was watching uh, you on YouTube just the other day, talking to I, I believe the U.S. Senate, and um, I, it's got to be uh, my hats off to you because it's got to be uh, pretty tire tireless work. Well, it, it's it's not rewarded by a, a lot of laudits from the, the uh, senators who are of a different opinion, and I take a lot of flack. But my my view is that I'm just a purveyor of data. Doesn't matter what I think. You know, the data speaks far louder than anything I could say. So I'm essentially a presenter of data, and then people can arrive at their own conclusions. You know what? It really came across that way too. Like when I watched that, I got the feeling that you did not have an agenda. You're just saying like, hey, hey this is what it what it is. And even sometimes when they would throw other points out there you would say yeah that's that's possibly true or you could believe that so i really got the feeling that you weren't uh you weren't out there trying to push a, a cause or anything that's what scientists are supposed to do the the ultimate goal of course is to find the truth and the only way you're going to do that is with objective observations and uh, using good data and if you have an, an agenda if you if you come to a conclusion first and then try to make the data fit and it doesn't fit you're going to be in a big mess so how, how have you found it since that, um, that meeting? Has there been a lot of blowback or have you had a lot of support? Um, the interesting story there. Um, moments after I finished my testimony, uh, the AP uh, sent out a, a, a bulletin uh, with a quote from um, one of my um, colleagues at uh, Western Washington University in the, in the geology department, um, a guy named Bernie Housen, who said that I was some kind of a kook 
and I didn't even know what I was talking about. I wasn't an expert in my field, and it was a shame that somebody like me uh, was being allowed to express opinions before the Senate. <laughs> so uh, that 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 got it that got it started. Well, then uh, these the members of my department uh, published an editorial in the local paper accusing me of all kinds of things, to which I responded. And then it, it got on the internet and went viral all over the world. And there were there were many, many, many emails sent to the president of the university and to various people, and it has it has gone way, way beyond what was originally intended, which was just testimony in the Senate. And so Carol <laughs> has has now gone all over the world and the people who were critical of me that made it go viral uh, couldn't have done anything that would have spread my message wider. So it's kind of ironic. Yeah, I never even thought of that. That is, if it wasn't for the, the pushback, if it wasn't the pushback is kind of actually in a way pushing the cause in the opposite direction. There was a, there was a really huge upwelling from my colleagues uh, all over the world, scientists, and they essentially uh, said, "Why are you heaping abuse on?" Uh, on this man who is simply presenting data that doesn't happen to agree with what a lot of people want it to be. And um, so the the effect that they had of, of, of saying all these mean, nasty things about me uh, was to make the message go even farther uh, than had been originally intended. Yeah, and the funny thing is none of these people that are, are you know, at least let's say, 99% of the people that are, are calling you these names and, and shit probably, you know, have would have no idea what to do with the data if you plopped it on the desk in front of them. That's certainly true. Um, so you've been at it, uh, oof, you've been at it, what, since the 60s? I, I began um, starting really about 1960. And my my goal was to try to determine what it is that causes global climate change at various time levels over periods of decades or centuries or thousands of years or millions of years. And so that's what my research is centered on uh, for for well the time since 1960 actually. And can can you summarize then for people that aren't familiar with with the other side of the argument here? Because you know even talking to to normal people on the street or in your daily life, like trying to tell them this side of the story, they still have a hard time believing there is another side of the story, right? They're all used to hearing the global warming and all this kind of stuff. So what would, how would you summarize your side of the argument? Actually, or the data good. And, and now the, the prevailing view, at least, among um, people who have been surveyed, the general public, uh, is that most of them uh, don't believe the, the CO2 story. And it has been trumped up to such an extent, especially in the news media, that global warming proves that it's being caused by man-made CO2. And nothing could be farther from the truth. There's no argument at all there's been global warming. It's very common. It's been going on for for thousands and millions of years. And I can show you many, many, many examples of times when, when global warming occurred uh, at faster rates and was far more intense than a little blip we've seen uh, recently uh, since about 1978. And so the, the argument is not about global warming, which is what you, would, what you would 
here or probably on the street. The argument is, what is it that's causing the global warming that we all agree is happening and it has happened for, for many thousands of years? So the argument is, does man-made carbon dioxide emitted from various sources, um, largely man-made, does that increase in CO2 in the atmosphere cause the climate to warm? And the answer is a resounding no, because there are hundreds of times in the geologic past when we've had a lot more global warming than we have now with no CO2 involved at all. So this is not this warming we we saw is now over. Uh, been no, there's been no global warming in 17 and a half years. Not many people know that either. So yeah. if you have a, a teenage um, son or daughter, they have who is 17 years or younger, they have never experienced global warming because it hasn't happened during that time. It, it's really flattened out. And this is something that I predicted back in uh, the year um, 1999 on the basis of some recurring patterns in the, in the geologic ice core record and also in the oceans. And so far I've been right. So um, my, my view now is that Mother Nature is going to, is going to tell us, has, is telling us right now. And uh, at a time when the CO2 people were saying, that we're going to warm by one degree every every decade and uh, 10 degrees by the end of the century. Um, they've missed the boat completely, and in fact, we've had some slight cooling. Uh, over, we've had cooling over about the last decade and pretty flat temperatures for the uh, last 17 years, despite their predictions of, uh, in this case, one or two degrees of warming that didn't happen. That's so, it. anyway, that's the background of the argument, is man-made CO2 causing the climate to warm. And the, the, all the scientific data is, no, it's not. I can definitely agree with the uh, the cooling, because this is probably uh, one of the coldest winters we've had in a, in a Alberta in a decade. Um, I think it's more than that. I saw something the other day that said some parts of Canada, I'm not sure if the, it was Alberta or not, um, the, the coldest winter in 145 years. Wow. And in the U.S., it's breaking all, almost all records for uh, the the coldest winter, the, the top three coldest winters, something like that. We haven't seen a winter like this in about 100 years in, in the northern U.S. and in Canada. The polar vortex. Aren't they still trying yeah. to, to, to base it on climate fluctuations or these extreme fluctuations because of global warming? Like, are they still grasping on that, that straw? Would you believe, <laughs> it's hard to imagine, um, that people in the U.S. government and, and some scientists who are pushing the CO2 idea uh, have said that the reason that it's so cold is because there's so much global warming. In other words, the hotter it gets, the colder it's going to be. <laughs> and so, Ain't that a when bitch. You, when, you, when, when you finish, <laughs> when you get up from the floor from laughing, uh, they are serious. And you, you can't believe it. They're saying, well, we, the idea is that, gee, as we get warmer and warmer, we're going to have more and more climate extremes. Well, they tried hurricanes. Well, we haven't had a hurricane in five years, so that didn't work. Uh, well, how about tornadoes? Well, we had the lowest tornado um, incidents last year on, on record in, in a long, long time, in many decades. 
uh, and that um, we've had the, the droughts occurring in various places, but you know they're not an, at all unusual. There's no increase in any climate extreme in the in the past couple of decades uh, than there has been over the course of the entire century. There's nothing at all about unusual about this, and the reason is that those short-term incidents are what we call weather. And weather is the day-to-day or event-to-event variation in temperature and precipitation. Climate is the long-term aggregate of the weather over a longer period of time, say 15 years or more, something like that. And so they're trying to use weather, uh, which means absolutely nothing with respect to climate for a single incident, as proof that the climate is causing it, the overall climate change is causing it, which is total nonsense. And so... Um, the idea is that they're trying to push now is that the reason that we're breaking all these cold records uh, is because it's getting so hot, and it's the hotness that's causing the coldness. Um, so now, if you can if you can wrap your mind around that, you'll you'll understand what they're talking about. <laughs> and and isn't there a new meme too that instead of it being global warming, that it's just climate change, like man-made climate change? In well, general, like they seem um, to be grasping onto that too. Well, the, the whole idea um, is that uh, climate has has not changed. There, there was a, a basis in one of the early reports uh, proposed that climate has never changed over thousands of years. It's always been exactly the same until mankind started putting CO2 <laughs> in the atmosphere. And then all of a sudden the climate started um, changing and started warming, which is absolute nonsense. Uh, The climate has changed over and over and over again. Um, Something you probably don't know is that 8,500 of the last 10,000 years, the climate has been one to two degrees warmer than it is right now during this so-called global warming. (laughs) 8,500 of the last 10,000 years have been one to two degrees warmer present. So what's the big deal? And um, I, I do a lot of work with ice core data, and I plotted up the, uh, some of the ice cores, and I found that in the last 500 years, there have been 40 periods of warming and cooling well before there was uh, an increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. You see, the, this, the man-made CO2 didn't really start to to escalate until after World War II in 1945. Mm-hmm. So the only period they're talking about when they talk about man-made global warming is from 1945 on. Mm-hmm. Well, it got to be kind of embarrassing because when CO2 began to soar after 1945, for 30 years after that, the climate actually cooled about half a degree. <laughs> well, if increased CO2 is supposed to cause warming, how come the climate cooled half a degree in 30 years? Um, and then in one year, the, the climate flipped back from cooling to warming. It occurred in 1977 in a single year. Well, how could climate flip from um, cool to warm in one year? It's being caused by as a slow, gradual increase in, in CO2. So the embarrassing thing uh, for the CO2 pushers uh, is that uh, for the first 30 years, when CO2 was warming, the climate cooled. And the second embarrassing thing for them is that at least half of the warming that has occurred during this past century, since 1900, and that's about one degree Fahrenheit, roughly. Uh, half of it occurred before 1945, and therefore can't be blamed on CO2. So half of the warming that we have indeed experienced occurred without the benefit of any CO2 at all. 
and you can only blame half of it uh, on on CO2. If that and that that uh, according to the patterns we see is is merely a coincidence. Hmm. So at any rate, the, the data is really embarrassing for the CO2 pushers. It, it just doesn't match the you know, their claims. So is it what is it kind of like? Uh, like I've always thought my personal opinion which is uh, not a very well-educated one, <laughs> but um, I've always thought of it as, as a cyclical, cyclical natural cycle of the earth. Is that, is that your view or do you, do you agree that it's man-made in a different capacity or, or like what, in your opinion, what would you think is causing the, the climate to change? There's absolutely no doubt whatsoever. And um, that's, that's not something you can say easily without a lot of data. Well, I've got a lot of data. Uh, I've looked at uh, ice core temperatures for uh, thousands of years. Uh, I've looked at um, global climate records. I've looked at all kinds of, of, of evidence. And what is abundantly clear is that there is a naturally occurring, reoccurring pattern uh, that is about 25 to 30 years uh, long that alternates between warm, cool, warm, cool, warm, cool. It's, uh, I can trace it back at least 500 years uh, that's been doing this. That is, every 30 years, the climate flips from warm to cool. It doesn't seem to have a transition period very long. See, it's like having an on-off switch. Either it's warming or it's cooling, one of the two. And there's mm-hmm. not much in between. Mm-hmm. So it's, it flips into one from one phase into another. Well, that's been going on for at least uh, 500 years. And, and from the evidence that we have uh, from older than that, it's not quite as easy to get uh, accurate enough records uh, older than that, although we, we have some. Uh, what's very clear is that there is a recurring pattern of warming and cooling, warming and cooling, and warming and cooling. And the last one happens to be from um, uh, 1978 to, nine, about two, to until about 2000. And that just happens to be coincident with the time when CO2 was, was rising. But for all of the ones before that, all 40 of the ones in the, in the last uh, 500 years have occurred when CO2 was not uh, at any elevated level uh, beyond uh, what had been the case for thousands of years. We also know that CO2 by itself is incapable of causing significant global warming. And we know that from the physics of it. Physicists have shown us that. So if if we were to, and the other thing that, that is really important to know that often gets overlooked is how little CO2 there is in the atmosphere. Um, most people think, oh my gosh, you know, the room is full of CO2. <laughs> the amount of CO2 that's in the atmosphere right now is about 39 one thousandths of 1%, almost nothing. So what happens if you double nothing? You've still got nothing. So the amount of increase in CO2 is infinitesimally small. And the actual change in the CO2 content in the atmosphere is eight one thousandths of 1%. And you can't do much with that. Hmm. So very clear that CO2 can't cause significant climate change. So where are all these wild claims coming from? Well, they're coming from from models, from computer models, where the people who do the modeling put in a large water vapor factor, which doesn't belong there, because water vapor is responsible for 95% of the greenhouse effect global warming effect. Hmm. 95% is water vapor. Only 3.5% is is related to CO2, which is very small. So now 
what we see is that a trace gas with only 39 one thousandths of 1%, and which has changed only 8 one thousandths of 1%, is supposed to be causing a climate change of 10 degrees by the end of the century. That's absolute nonsense, absolute nonsense. And the only way they get there is they put a, a, a bogus water vapor factor in their computer models so it kicks out the answer that they want. Hmm. So how can we check then on the validity of their models? Well, they've been doing this long enough now so we can actually check what the climate has done relative to what they predicted it, say, back to the year 2000. And what we find is that their predictions based on their computer models have not even come close. They have failed miserably. And they have even acknowledged this, that their computer models haven't worked. But they still keep on blatantly with all this uh, stuff about how CO2 is going to cause the demise of mankind and, and be a, a global catastrophe. Hmm. Uh, it's all nonsense. Is this all part of Agenda 21? Have you, have you looked at that at all? Is, is this what it's oh, all I've coming from? That's what it's all about. Um, it, in, the, in the end, it's all about money and power. If you want to find out the cause of something, uh, follow the money or follow the, the power in this case. But it's a, it's a little bit more about Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is a UN uh, resolution that essentially wants to um, take over control of the world governments with a, um, a world government uh, centered in the UN and all countries will give up their sovereignty and be ruled by this government in the UN, which is not elected. The U.S. and other countries will contribute something like $200 billion a year into their, um, yeah, into their budgets. And um, so um, it, it, you know, it's, <laughs> there are big stakes uh, in, involved with that. But that's not the only reason, because there are other other um, people who are n not even interested in Janet Twain who are also pushing it. But it's also about um, money and power. Like and carbon tax they, and stuff they, like that? Um, it, it has to do a lot with uh, with money. And there are trillions. There have been, the estimates are that there have been about a trillion dollars spent on uh, global warming kinds of, of things in about the past 10 years or so. This year, well, the annual budget for the U.S. is about $2.5 billion, all of which goes to the CO2 pushers. And uh, millions of dollars of that are spent on, on putting out things that are just pure propaganda and have no science in them at all. So the, the carrot, if you like, for some people is that they're getting rich. The other part is that they have, in the case of some scientists, they have limitless research funds to work with. All you have to do is sign on and your research copper will fill up immediately. And the other part is uh, having governmental power over people. For example, take the EPA presently, which is trying to enforce a, a carbon tax. And if, if, that, if they are, are successful, that will give the federal government, and specifically the EPA, power to regulate virtually everything that each of us does in our lives, virtually everything. So it's, it's about governmental power and money. Isn't that always the case? <laughs> it seems to be. <laughs> so how, how do you get away with, some of your funding has been through the government, so have they tried, like, it's hard to imagine I, it, you're it, allowed to, to speak so openly about this. Well, there lies the tale. Um, for uh, the first oh, 
probably 40, 30, well, about 30 years of, of my life, I guess, of my research. Uh, I had, uh, oh, I don't know, eight or 10 National Science Foundation research grants to conduct the kind of research that I do on, on uh, glaciers and ice cores to, to determine past climate changes. Um, glaciers act like giant thermometers in a sense. When it's warm, they retreat. When it's cold, they advance. And so by um, chronicling the advance and retreat of glaciers, we can tell what the Earth's temperature has been uh, doing in the past, both warming and, and cooling. And so the NSF was very generous and funded my research for um, many, many years. And then when my data began to conflict with the CO2 message, suddenly all the grant money is shut down. Um, skeptics like me don't have a chance in hell of getting any money from the federal government for any kind of study that doesn't applaud CO2 as causing the downfall of all mankind. As simple as that. Wow. So how has it been over the last uh, couple of years then since you've really come out and spoken in front of the government themselves? Like, well, I haven't had an, an NSF grant uh, for probably about uh, 15 or 20 years. Wow. My, my NSF funding was been totally cut, cut oh. off. Hmm. So how do, you, how do you push forward now? Have you had people in the private sector to, to help you continue research? No, I essentially do it on my own. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, if you like, I'm self-funded. I fund all my own research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which fortunately I'm able to do. And, and so uh, I don't have to depend on government grants or, uh, or private funding in order to do the kind of research I do. Right. Can you talk about where some more of your data comes from too, besides like your ice core sampling and, and all that? Do you have any other? Sure. Yeah. Um, if, if you want to know what the climate has been doing in the past, uh, then you can look at various kinds of, of geologic phenomena. And the, the whole idea behind this kind of approach uh, is that um, if we want to know what to expect in the future, we want to know what we've experienced in the past. In other words, the past is the key to the future. In order to understand the future, we need to know where we've been before. And so with that in mind, what I've done then is I have, I have studied glacial advances and retreats in um, continents in various places, in North America, South America, New Zealand, Europe, um, the various places around the world, to get a picture of what the global climate has done in the past and to see if there are discernible patterns that we can project in the future. And lo and behold, I found some. And I found some that are extremely valuable because um, on the basis of, of what I had found from um, ice cores, uh, and from glacial advances and retreats in, in uh, both alpine and continental areas uh, all over the world, uh, it's, it's been possible to reconstruct what the, what the climate has been doing in the past and to work out the climates uh, that have changed um, periodically. Well, uh, what I was able to do, what, what we do is we can look at an ice core from Greenland, from the Greenland ice sheet or from the Antarctic ice sheet and measure the amount of um, oxygen isotopes to one another. And th- th- the reason that's important is that the ratio of two isotopes of oxygen to each other varies with temperature. When temperature changes, the ratio of these two isotopes mm-hmm. of oxygen changes also. And we can measure that. So uh, in 1997, there was an ice core drill- drilled in Greenland, 
and, um, and two professors at the University of Washington, Minza Groot, uh, I'm sorry, Minza Stiver and Peter Grutus, uh, ran thousands of um, nuclear um, analyses of the isotopes, and we have that as the gold standard for what the climate has done in Greenland for about the last 100,000 years, and in, in the Antarctic, it's possible to go back about 600,000 years. So what I did was I took the isotope, isotope data that had been gathered um, by, these, by these two, and then um, I calculated the uh, amount of um, warming and cooling for various time periods and plotted it on a graph, and up popped this wonderful cycle of about 30, a full cycle is 60 years. One warm period, one cold period is a full cycle. Each warming and each cooling is about 30 years, so it's 60 years for a cycle. And these repeat just over and over and over and over, so that if you, if you look at where the pattern has taken us for the last 500 years, and just project that into the future, you have some basis for attempting to say, well, on the basis of what's happened in the past, this is what's likely to happen in the future. Hmm. So 1999, when I, when I first made this, this discovery, I projected into the future what had happened in the previous um, cycles, and it, it said that uh, we should, after the year 2000, experience about 30 years of global cooling. And this was a time uh, at, because we were, we were nearing the end of what had been a, a 20, 25-year warming period, and everybody was, was getting all excited about global warming. And so in the middle of all that, I predicted that the next several decades, we're going to have global cooling and global warming is going to stop. So how to prove that? The proof of that is you wait and see what happens. <laughs> so I made this prediction in 2000. And we're right in the middle no of it. global yeah. warming in 17 and a half years. So yeah. my prediction has been correct so far. Yeah. So yeah. far, so yeah. good. And, and we might Continue. be right smack in the middle of it, really. We are right smack in the middle of it. Yeah. So at any rate, um, that's the way you can go about getting some kind of, of a, an idea about what to expect in the future. Well, all the, I, I, uh, all the IPCC, this is a UN agency, all their model predictions were way off. If you, if you plot their predictions against what has actually happened um, from 2000, say, to, well, from 1998, roughly 1996 up until now, uh, their models have failed miserably. And my prediction, based on this projection of patterns in the future, is, has been right on target. So anyway, so far so good. And in the end, Mother Nature will tell us the answer because we will know. And if, if it continues to cool for another 10 years, um, 15, 20 years, something like that, then we'll know that, that what I had predicted uh, was correct and the reason for it is also correct. So... Uh, my goal right now is to live another 20 years to see if my predictions hold for that length of time. <laughs> so far, so good, but you never know. <laughs> have you seen, uh, in, in all your years, have you seen any research for um, any, uh, any like, drastic changes in, in Earth's history? You know, like, uh, bef even before our recorded history, like some sort of drastic weather change. Like 12,000 years ago kind of thing? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, or anything like that where the Earth has been, you know, a lot hotter or a, a lot colder. Sure. We, we only have to go back about 15,000 years, which is not very long in, in, in geologic time. Um, about um, 25,000 years or so ago, 
we fell into an ice age, and the glaciers that um, came down uh, from the northern latitude uh, were about 10,000 feet thick, probably about 10,000 feet thick where you guys are, and extended clear down into the United States, clear down to Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, and also in, in, in Washington and, and across the, the Great Plains. And during that time, um, the, the climate was, uh, was very cold, very bitter, and the um, duration of that time uh, lasted until roughly 12,500 years ago. And then there was a sudden warming, and that warming amounted to 20 degrees in a century. Now, keep in mind that the warming we've experienced in the last century was about one degree. So here's an instance where um, about um, 12,500 years ago or so, um, the, uh, the Earth's climate warmed 20 degrees in a century, and then it got cool again. And then it, uh, a few hundred years later, it warmed again at about 8 degrees in a century. And then it cooled off again, and then uh, it, it warmed up very abruptly. It warmed up like 40 degrees. Um, I'm sorry, it warmed up about 20 degrees in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is just incredible. So in other words, it's something like the intensity of the warming, the abruptness of the warming, was roughly somewhere between 20 and 40 times as intense as what we've experienced recently. Yeah. So yeah. what we're seeing now is 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 really um, peanuts. It didn't amount to much. So that got us to about 11,500 years ago, and the warming that occurred then uh, ended the ice age. And the glacier just melted back like crazy. Uh, the 10,000-foot the ice sheet over North America uh, essentially vanished. And then from 10,000 years ago until about uh, 1,500 years ago, the climate was actually, and I'm looking at a graph now that says it's about the maximum of 2 degrees, and, and much of it is about 1 degree, warmer during the 8,500 years, the last 10,000 years, warmer than it is right now. And so global warming is nothing new. And there are big peaks to these warming. Um, I'm looking at a graph right now, and I can count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, about 20 periods of intense warming, way more intense than what we've experienced and what we call the modern uh, warming of, 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 of recent years. So the answer to your question is yes, that there's sounding yes. We know for sure that there have been many periods of global warming far more intense than the peanut-like thing that we're, we're seeing in, in the last, um, last few decades.
getting back to the perception of our mainstream culture. So what do you advise us? Like, how do we know what to believe with all this science? You have polarization now with the internet. You have uh, extreme sides of all stories, it seems. So you being into this for so long now and experiencing the information age firsthand, like how do we sift through all the all the crap in our day-to-day lives? Like, do we just not believe what we hear on, on the TV anymore? Well, it, it's interesting that the, the American public isn't buying global warming anymore. Uh, I, I haven't seen the most recent poll, but the last one I looked at, which was, I don't know, maybe a month ago or something like that, and there are polls all over the place. Um, but whereas uh, the majority of people used to believe that uh, global warming caused by man-made CO2 uh, was going to be a, a catastrophe. That number has dropped now. I think it's under 50%. Uh, it depends on which poll you look at. But at any rate, the, because of all the cooling we've had in the last decade and the winters like we've had, we've, this is not the first bitter winter we've had. We've had about four out of five that have been really bitter and cold. Um, not everywhere in the world, but uh, certainly in North America and in, in England. For example, in, in England, there were uh, climatologists, CO2 pushers, who were claiming that uh, the next generation would never know what snow is because of global warming. Well, they've just broken all the snow records in the last hundred years in, in Great Britain. There was, there is now a group of, of, um, of ski locations, um, ski areas, who banded together and who are issuing warnings that uh, the end of skiing is nigh because global warming is going to mean that there isn't going to be any snow in the mountains for people to ski on. <laughs> and despite that, four of the last five snowiest years have occurred in the last decade. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, you know, yeah. to hear this stuff, you think, you know, where do they get it? Because the facts are absolutely contrary to what they're trying to claim. And yet the, the news media is complicit in all this. The news media will not say a word that is not favorable to CO2-caused global warming. Just, oh, with one exception, there's one uh, TV network that will do it, and all the others uh, will, will simply... Uh, not say anything from people about people like me uh, who are saying, here's the data, folks, look at it, and they won't even publish it. But they will publish some wild-eyed claim um, that sea levels are going to drown everybody on the coast or that we're all going to fry. And I saw one the other day where they're predicting that uh, the temperature at the end of the century may be 20 degrees warmer than now, and it's the end of civilization and that kind of stuff. That makes headlines, but the, the real real-life data doesn't. People are going to be wishing it was warming up in another 10 years. <laughs> we I, I will be so. anyway. <laughs> I, ironically, uh, the, the pattern that I mentioned, the warm cold, warm cold pattern, um, meant that um, from 1945 to 1977 was a cool period. This was when CO2 was, was soaring, and the climate cooled by a full half a degree during that 30-year that, uh, period. And the, 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 the cooling, of course, led people to be worried that, gosh, maybe we're headed for another ice age. And so um, NASA and NOAA and um, these people were beginning to predict another ice age is on the way, and we better hunker down because we're going to be overwhelmed by glaciers and, and, and the climate's going to be really cold. And um, the, the, the cover of Time magazine uh, in the 1970s 
um, had a had a, a full cover saying, you know, global cooling is is upon us. And the predictions of global cooling of, of an ice age back in the 1970s were made by the same people who are now predicting doom and gloom because of global warming. Yeah, there's a Spock, Spock video out there, I think. Where, from, uh, in, from Leonard, in search yeah, Leonard, no, I forget what it's on, but Leonard Nimoy is like the narrator and he's yeah. showing like these cities frozen under and he's like, the next 10 <laughs> years are going to be the coldest in history or something. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing that too. I got, well, so far, my predictions uh, of global cooling uh, for the next several decades is on target and seems to be correct, but I'm not happy about it because global cooling means a lot more misery for um, for human beings than in global warming would. Cold, kill, cold climates kill a lot more people than warm climates do. And in fact, warm climates are times when civilizations have flourished and cold periods, um, uh, like the modern minimum from 1650 to 1700, a third of the population of Europe was wiped out. Wow. And, and so... Um, global cooling is is not a fun thing, and the, the the problem for us is that as the climate cools, crop production goes down, energy requirements per capita go up, the population is exploding, um, the population is now doubling uh, about every 38 years, as the last the last three times anyway. So we've gone from um, something like uh, a billion. Uh, people on Earth back in I don't know, 1930s, something like that. And so we've now gone to 7 billion. Well, 40 years ago, we only had 3 billion. Mm-hmm. And 40 years before that, we had 1.5 billion. So if, you keep, if we keep increasing population at this rate, we're not only going to have um, problems with food production because of, of, of global cooling and less, uh, excuse me, more energy requirements per capita, we're going to have in the next 40 years, probably, if things keep going in the next 40 years, and maybe twice as many people as we have now. So where all that, where's all that going to come from? And so we ought to be spending our time worrying about uh, being able to handle the global population rather than chasing CO2, which isn't going to do anything. And the, and the irony is that um, some people who are very proficient in mathematics have calculated what it would cost to change the climate if CO2 was indeed causing a climate change. What would happen uh, you know, if we doubled the CO2 and so on? And what they have found that if that were true, and we know it isn't true, but if that were true, that um, for a cost of about a trillion dollars, you might be able to make a change in the climate of a few tenths of a degree, which is almost less than the accuracy with which you can measure it. Huh. So even if we throw a trillion dollars at it, there's nothing we can do. Well, the global climate is not controllable by humans. They like to think they're all powerful, but they aren't. Well, that that leads me to my next question, actually, which is quite a, a crazy conspiratorial question. But we talk about all kinds of crazy shit on the show. So what about man-made weather then? Man-made weather modification, like harp. People talk about harp. Uh, you know, affecting the ionosphere or whatever, or creating storms, or people talk about how in the 50s and the 40s, the government was looking at weather modification, or people will say, like, there's nine organizations in the world right now uh, that, you know, affect the weather. The Chinese made it uh, sunny during the Olympics, or what do you think about all that stuff? (laughs) 
that's um, that's a, those are old wives' tales, and <laughs> they have no substance whatsoever. The 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 possibility of human beings changing the amount of energy that is involved in the global climatic system uh, is minuscule. Um, there is there is no way that the, that human beings could do much of anything that would have a significant impact on the climate. That's the long and short of it. What we can do is adapt to whatever Mother Nature throws at us. That's about all we can do. So, um, so no man-made of, man-made earthquakes or storms, nothing like that. <laughs> well, you could you could probably make a man-made earthquake if you just set off a nuclear explosion on a San Andreas fault. But uh, you know, sure, if something like that. No, there's, the, the energy. The energy that we're talking about, global energy, is so huge relative to the, the minuscule amount that um, mankind would be able to, to affect to try to do something. Uh, it, it's so vast that uh, it, it's just not, not going to happen. Man would like to think, man and women, excuse my sexism yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Um, but people um, have virtually no power to change natural forces because they are so large. What a, but um, yeah, I, I that's like uh, I find you always get people always think that if you're against global warming and like I always say that it's typical human arrogance to think that you know we're we, you know we're changing the weather or we're the center of the universe. We're the only people alive in the universe because we're so special. Um, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought here. Where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it seems like whenever you try and have that conversation with people, you're, oh, well, you're, you're for dumping shit into the ocean and, and tearing down the rainforest. You know what I mean? It's like there can't be a middle ground. If, yeah, you're, if yeah. you're not on board with global warming, you're, then you're, you uh, don't care about the environment. Then you're a, yeah, you don't give a shit about the environment or anything. Like, do you, do you notice a lot of that? There's a huge amount of that. I am an environmentalist, and I have been one all my life. I, I grew up in the mountains, and I am deeply tuned to nature. Also, as a geologist, I have an interest in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I started at my university some of the, some of the first environmental programs uh, for students. And so I am still an avid environmentalist. But there is no correlation between true environmentalism and what is going on with the peop- these people who are pushing climate change and all of the things that uh, they want to do uh, in order to seemingly have some effect. So I would say that it, well, you may have seen the testimony of Patrick Moore, who was a, a fellow that founded Greenpeace before the Senate this last week. And um, he essentially said that uh, there, there is no correlation between CO2 and, and global climate. And the, the point is that the environmental movement has veered into a political arena away from its original task. I mean, all of us want to reduce emissions of toxic chemicals into the atmosphere and into the water and clean up the environment, clean up the water. Um, but everything now is tuned to, oh, we've got to do everything in order to keep the CO2 level down, which is not going to do anything. And in the meantime, we're missing a chance to fix many of these other problems, yeah. clean up the water, provide water for, for people in Africa who, who don't have it and, and who don't have any, any kind of reasonable living amenities. If we, if we spent the amount of money that's being wasted on chasing CO2, if we put that money into... Um, into helping 
adapt to the situation, be it warm or cold, we'd be way ahead of the game. Or even into cleaning up all that trash floating around in the Pacific, right? Like think of the billions and billions of dollars that have gone into global warming propaganda and everything else. If that would have, oh, yeah. you could have hired a, a million boats to go and, and pick up trash. The, the other question you have to ask is, and this is being asked by a number of people, not, not just me, um, but they have made the point that um, think of the millions of lives that could have been saved if we had spent that estimated trillion dollars over the last 10 years in providing uh, medical assistance, clean water, better food, um, better housing, a, a better uh, standard of living for the, the poor people of the world, people in Africa and third world countries or so on, could have, their lives could have, their lives, in many cases, could have been saved if we'd spent some of that money on them rather than you know, chasing this stupid CO2 thing. What do you think people should do? Like, what do you think the public should do? Is there any advice you have for them on how uh, to be? The first be thing a... they should do is is to take the power away from the EPA to um, essentially uh, control everything that goes on in this country, including individual um, lives. Um, that's the first. I put that number one on on my bracket. Is is get rid of the notion that you're going to solve any kind of a problem by passing laws and CO2 carbon taxes, that sort of thing, and, and, and making the really dumb restrictions um, on all kinds of things that, that don't need restricting. And by that, I don't mean um, be careless with the environment. I mean, pay better attention to the environment mm -hmm. and do things that are meaningful rather than, than wasting all that money. That would be number one on my list. The other thing would be to uh, somehow, and I don't know how this could be done, is to convince the news media of the world and certainly of the U.S. And, 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 and European countries to tell both sides of the story and let the evidence for warming or cooling be known to the public. Because right now it's being suppressed, um, absolutely suppressed by virtually uh, all news media with the exception of, of a few uh, in, in well, in Europe and, and in the U.S., both educate the public about what is actually going on, rather than all the stupid propaganda that you hear in the news media these days. Um, there was a, a, a program on CNN where the, the the woman news anchor went on a launched on a big tirade about uh, how anybody who didn't believe in global warming was some kind of a stupid oath, and that uh, and there are all kinds of um, news media who publish these things regularly yeah. um, that um, skeptics shouldn't be allowed, should be all put in jail or, or they made all kinds of threats like that to try to try to shut us up. Um, nonsense. Uh, transparency would go a long way to educate the general public about what's really going on, not what the propaganda people are telling them. So Sweet. those are my, my, my list. And have some firewood on hand. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. How much I rely on the system, like when it's minus thirty here for for a couple of weeks, and I'm like, I got, I'm I'm one of the people who has wood in a fireplace. But how many people, if that gas shuts off, are in a lot of trouble in a in a couple of days? How many people? How many low income people on fixed incomes are having difficulty? 
heating their homes this this winter uh, across almost all of the uh, Middle West and Eastern part of, of North America and also all, all across Canada. You guys are getting even worse than we are. Um, how, how much hardship is, is that on people who really can't afford to have their heat bills double, triple, whatever, um, and, but yet they, you know, they have to do it to keep from freezing. It's a real hardship. Global cooling is a real hardship. Um, and it, it, there have been various surveys made of the number of people who were killed during a bitter cold winter in, in England. It's something like 20,000. And the number of people who lost their lives presumably because of something having to do with global warming. And it's a fraction of that. Global cooling is, is way more hard, it's much more harder, much harder on um, humans than global warming is. So, global so warming is- we're lucky this is one of the first times that we've actually got systems in place to really combat it. I mean, think, think uh, two, 200 years ago, even when you go into uh, a winter like this and you're sitting around a, you know, in a hut or some shit. Let, let me give a couple, a couple of real life examples. Um, in 1650, uh, sunspots um, shut down and, uh, and the sun went into a funk. And for 50 years, there were no sunspots and there was a severe um, cooling of the climate. It's called the Little Ice Age. Mm-hmm. And, and the Little Ice Age actually began before that. It began a couple hundred years before that. This was just a, re- a particularly cold part of, of, that, of that overall period. Well, during the Little Ice Age, the population of Europe uh, in, endured famine after famine after famine because they were dependent on cereal grains and they had crop failure after crop failure after crop failure because of the cold, harsh conditions. And a third of the population died. They didn't all starve because uh, the, the, the plagues then followed in on, on the heels of famine and, and wiped out a significant number, but it was also related. And so that's one instance of, of how bad cold can be. It happened. It has happened again over and over and over again since then. One novel period was between 1790 and 1820, and that was a cold period, again, a, a low sunspot cycle. And during that time period, a number of things happened. The French Revolution, because the farmers were starving to death because of crop failures, and Napoleon got... Yeah, he got frozen out of Europe. He went into Europe with 600,000 troops, came back with 40,000 because the, the, the winter uh, froze them out, um, and, and so on. So global cooling is a serious thing. It's not to be taken lightly. Same thing happened to Hitler in the 40s. Hitler, well, uh, that was right at the transition period. It, it had been warm um, up until about 1945. So the, the switch from global warming which had been from 1915 to about 1845, uh, began uh, shortly after 1945, shortly after uh, World War II. It happened, coincidentally, to be uh, at the same time period when CO2 was soaring, as I I pointed Mm -hmm. out earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, global cooling didn't really affect uh, the the war in Europe that much. You could could argue that, uh, you know, the, the winter... The, the harsh winter in Europe in 1945 in various places um, caused a lot of hardship, which it did. Um, but but at any rate, um, if you have a choice between global warming and global cooling, uh, take global warming. It's good for population. The other thing that many people don't realize is that we have been thawing out from the Little Ice Age now for about 
400 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we have not yet regained the level of warmth that we had before the Little Ice Age. Oh. Actually, we're not, we're not totally sawed out. So there's probably going to be some more global warming. But it doesn't mean anything. We're, we're still not back where we were uh, for most of the last 10,000 years. We're still not sawed out yet. How far off are we? Like a couple degrees? Degrees, one to two degrees, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, that, and that's, uh, you know, it's been warming uh, at, at a variable rate, and it's not constant. You know, it's warm, cold, warm, cold, warm. But it's on a generally rising trend uh, that probably amounts to somewhere around uh, a degree per century for the last 400 years. That order of magnitude, that's not an exact number that you should quote, but it's mm-hmm. you know, that order of magnitude. And so we've got a couple of degrees yet to go before we get back to where we've been for 85% of the last 10,000 years. Yeah, I noticed uh, that's uh, in the YouTube video I was watching. I noticed there's a, a lot of visuals to your presentation. Um, the uh, so the chart you had with the uh, the temperatures of the 2000s compared to the 30s, because their their whole spiel is that the what is it, 10 of the last 12 hottest years, or from 2000 to 2012, and you've got charts that you've had for decades that that um, that contradict that. What, was there a time when you noticed that, that their numbers were starting to slowly come down? Uh, they didn't come down slowly. They came down all at once. And, and this, this is what happened. Um, when you think of Noah and NASA, you think of motherhood and apple pie, and, and you know, surely these are really trustworthy agencies. Um, I'm looking now at some graphs in front of me, and what I can tell you is that both Noah and NASA have doctored the earlier climate records to lower the warm period between 1915 and 1945, making it cooler, and then added temperature to uh, temperature since the 2000 to make them higher. And I'm looking at a graph right now, which is published by um, the um, by NASA, of the temperatures from 1880 to 2000. And on it, it's abundantly clear that the 1930s temperature highs are above those uh, from about uh, at about 2000. In other words, it was warmer in the 1930s than, than it has been since 2000. Um, so clearly, the NASA temperature record that they published um, by the then director, um, I think James Hansen was probably director, this was published in 1999. By the year 2000, they had subtracted um, a significant amount of temperature from all of the temperature records of that warm period and had therefore lowered the high temperature of 1930, and they added a similar amount to the temperatures from uh, about, uh, oh, I'm looking here, oh, from about 1980 on. And now the same temperature record published by the same government agency in 2013 shows that uh, the year 2000 was warmer than the 1930 high. And I'm now looking at a a graph which shows the temperatures that were recorded. This is for North America, not for the world, for North America. It shows the temperatures before they tampered with this data. And it clearly shows that the 1930s were were significantly warmer than um, the last, uh, last couple of decades. In other words, data tampering. And they would justify it on the basis, oh, well, we're trying to make them more accurate by subtracting and adding things. But the truth is, 
they subtract temperatures from earlier warm periods to make them appear lower. They add temperatures to the recent to make them look higher and then claim that, oh, gee, 10 of the last 12 years have been the warmest whatever. It's a total fraud. Now, that gets quite conspiratorial. The data is is available online, the early data and the the later data. Uh, And so there, there is no doubt about what they've been doing. And they're not just doing it in the U.S. They've also done it uh, in Australia, uh, in New Zealand, um, in Iceland, um, probably in Europe, although I don't have the data in front of me right now. And so when you when you hear this was the warmest whatever, summer, winter, um, it's unprecedented, never, never been recorded before. It is a lie. When they say that um, four of the last um, whatever years, have been um, the warmest recorded in North America. It's a lie because if you look at the original data published by the same agency before they altered it, you will see that the 1930s were the warmest decade. The warmest year was probably 1936, 1934, and nine of the 10 record-breaking years for heat occurred in the 1930s, not recently. Is that... that, uh... that is there a place our listeners can go and, and check out all the visuals? Absolutely. And what I would recommend, I'll call it my computer right now and, and give it to you. Um, and it is easy to get to. And I'm pulling it up. Oops, here we go. Now, what... if you... Okay, this is um, a, um, a website um, which is called Real Science, R-E-A-L Science. That's the name of the website, and um, you can find it online at http stephengoddard.wordpress.com, and, um, or you can just Google or Bing Real Science, and you can find it, and he has an excellent compilation of uh, data tampering, examples of data tampering. And um, I'm looking at, at one now on that on that very site that says um, data tampering uh, at PIS, um, which is a NASA agency. And in it, he, he's so rather interesting. He shows the data before it was tampered with, and in many cases, you'll see that the data shows that it was actually cooling. And when they're through tampering with it, they've changed the cooling trend into a warming trend with their data tampering. And they do this on the basis, well, gosh, you know, this is because of what's called an urban uh, heat island effect for big cities uh, making local areas that are recording get warmer. And so they actually should be doing the opposite of what they're doing. They should be, they should be um, essentially leaving the old data alone when we were mostly a rural country and applying a cooling, it's subtracting from more recent ones. But they do just the opposite. And so, you know, there's no justification for that, except that they, they want to, um, to make the climate appear to have been warmer. And in one case, uh, which just came out recently, and um, I'm looking at it right now online, and what it shows is that from 1945 to 1977, the uh, global climate cooled about half a degree. And the same thing was true in North America. And just this year, they have altered the data so that the, that cool period has now virtually disappeared. Hmm. In other words, they have artificially tampered with the data to make it appear that that actually didn't happen. 
and um, and so when you when you hear all these claims about uh, this being the hottest um, year and so on and so forth, go to this website that I showed you and check out the unaltered data to get the truth of the matter. And there you'll see that most of these claims are totally false. So it's hard not to go to like the new world order conspiracies with all this. You know, you've got the media complicit and ignoring all this. And then you've got NASA and the NOA scrubbing data. So how mm -hmm. do you, how do you, keep yourself level and, and not go down that rabbit hole of, of the, the new world order conspiracy. <laughs> I'm too busy doing other things to worry about. <laughs> things like that. So uh, I've got all, I've got all I can handle with my own research. So I let the, I let the conspiracies and the politics but, go somewhere else. I'm not, I don't have time to, to fool with that. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. It's it's total utter fraud, is what I can tell you. And and that's and, it. That um, doesn't matter, like why they're doing it, really, to you, or. Oh yeah, it does. And I'm trying to find, let me see if I can find something here. Um, and what I'm looking for, and this is on that same website for uh, data tampering. Oh, I know, I can find it here. And just give me a minute, and I'll take a look at this. And here it is. Um, you've heard of Climate Gate, I assume. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. Is, this was the revelation, um, a revealing of emails between the the um, people who have been dealing with the, the pushing CO two, mainly at the Hadley um, Climate Center in England. In the UK. Yeah. Um, part of the funding which comes from the U.S. And interception of emails that somebody, we still don't know who, uh, had been um, uh, exchanging emails that um, suggest rather graphically that they are, they are cooking the books, they're cooking the, the data. So I'm looking for, boy, is a quote. Uh, from that, if I can find it. Well, I can't. I can't find the exact quote right now, so I can't read it. Here, but I, I, what I can do is I can tell you what it says, um, and you can find it on this website incidentally if you want to check it. And this is an email um, between Phil Jones, who's the director of the Hadley Climate Center, the, the, the climate center that produces, um, collates most of the climate data for the world, in addition to, to NOAA. Uh, and then NASA. And uh, what it says is that the global cooling from 1940 to 1977, and I'm quoting, roughly paraphrasing now, and, yeah. and one yeah. of them said together, um, this cooling trend is a bit of a problem for us. We need to get rid of it. So uh, what can we do? And so what they did, of course, so what I've just been explaining to you, is that they subtracted... Uh, and added uh, temperatures, and they made it disappear on their on their curves and on their charts. So it was very clear this wasn't just some kind of um, accidental or, or coincidental um, adjustments to data. This was a complicit attempt to erase part of the climate record that they didn't like. Mm -hmm. And that's in the record, and you can find the actual email uh, that they don't deny uh, the exchange that explains that they were in fact cooking the books. We're going to link to all those websites. Yeah, I think uh, I found it show here. Notes here. Yeah. 
It's uh, Tom Wigley to Phil Jones. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah so we'll, it. we'll link to that in the show notes. So what what else do you have coming up then? What's on your agenda for the next uh, you know couple of years? Um, next couple of years are pretty busy for me. Um, working on a couple of books, um, writing a bunch of papers, and um, just saying, trying to stay current with all the data that, that is is coming out, and um, trying to spread the word as far as I can that the real truth is in the data. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Phil Jones thinks. It doesn't matter um, what Noah thinks. The real truth is in the data. And the real truth will be vindicated by Mother Nature, which is happening right now. And um, if Mother Nature continues to cool, then we'll know that that um, all this stuff, uh, all this tampering and things that, that have been going on, were in fact a total hoax. Well, that's uh, that's well said, and that's probably a pretty good place to to end it off here. And we'll help you obviously spread that word, and you know we uh, commend you and on your courage to, to get the word out there and to try and get people to follow the data. Yeah. Well, keep on fighting the good about, fight. Yeah. Trying, trying to find truth. And the, the, the thing that I would, I would say is that, um, dogma is not science and that, um, the, the, the search for, for truth in science can only be done by looking at real data. Models don't prove anything. They <laughs> failed miserably. And that um, the the truth will ultimately come out as Mother Nature tells us whether or not we were right. Oh, I love it. Usually we're talking about dogma is not science, but it's in relation to like consciousness or UFOs or something like that. So it's nice to hear it from your side of the, the, the coin, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, fun talking to you. Welcome back to Grimerica. That was our chat with Mr. Don Easterbrook, Dr. Don Easterbrook. Yeah, that's Dr. Don Easterbrook to you, bud. <laughs> so, uh, Darren? Yeah, that's a good one. That uh, that should ruffle a few feathers. You seem to think that's going to be a bit controversial, eh? Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed. If We, we haven't got much hate mail yet, but uh, this one I could see bringing in a, an email or two. Is that because you think that even people that are on the fringe still believe in global warming? Global warming? Yeah. Really? Richard Serrett mentioned Don Easterbrook on uh, the conspiracy show the other day because he had another guy on that was basically telling the same story as as Don. Buddy Don. Well, I th- I don't know. I believe the guy, man. I mean, I don't know 100%, but 
And maybe he's wrong, but I believe that he's not fucking crazy, and I believe that he's sincere. So, yeah. I mean, people can be wrong. Maybe his research is wrong, but I mean, as far as him, you know, he's got no real reason to bullshit us. No, and it's just one of those things, again, it's so polarized, right? All the science is so polarized. You know, who do you believe, right? You got these people over here that are a smaller segment of, of the scientists who say, look, this has been going on for thousands of years, and we can show that there's like these 30-year periods. And then you've got all these other ones that uh, have been cropping up in the last 20 years. I don't know, man. This whole thing seems to be falling apart. The walls came down. Yeah, it feels like it. Well, uh, big thanks to Dr. Easterbrook for coming on anyway. Like I say, he's a true uh, a true uh, inspiration to be able to go out there and, uh, you know, fucking deal with the shit he must deal with on a daily basis. Like, you know, in that YouTube video, he's just getting fucking, you know, those guys are being just being dinks to him. Oh, yeah? The comments and stuff? No, just like even the fucking oh. senators. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The CO2 pushers? Yeah. <laughs> so in the intro we were talking about the shitty sound panels i got those up oh were we yeah, yeah thanks buddy yeah i nailed them up those fuckers ain't coming down yeah good another 12 would hit the spot i think yeah yeah maybe i just order that and keep it all uh we should not talk about this right now no anyway big thanks to uh Dr. Easterbrook for coming on. Hopefully, you know, we can chat with him again down the road. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens on this front in the next, you know, three or four years. Yep, everything's going to crack open. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. So our next guest, uh, next interview coming up is uh, the one and only Terry Tabando. Yep, that old, was a... Old buddy of yours, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, not... not yeah, I mean, we we didn't hang out too much, but we did some C-setting back in the day, like in 1994 after it first got going. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun chat. So Yeah, that uh, was really good. Yeah, looking forward to that one. And then, of course, we are recording for Passport uh, to Grimerica this weekend. Um, yeah. So if you guys are hearing this, uh, this is coming out tonight. It's Friday night. We're doing our recording tomorrow afternoon. So if you can get a hold of us, uh, shoot us an email or a tweet or something in the next um, 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 or 14 hours. And you may be able Actually, to no, no, more, more than, than that, that, almost 18, like 18 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Or the alternatively, you know, we're just grind America on Skype. So fuck it. We'll be on there all afternoon tomorrow. Um, Oh, that's Thank a good you, idea. Taking some calls. So if you guys want to jump on, that'll be Saturday, uh, March 29th, right? That's yep. right. Yep. Yeah, we'll be on online. So if you see us on there, go ahead and give us a shout. Give us a surprise. Uh, you got anything else? No, just Spam Gram Month is going pretty good. Yeah, Spam Gram Month. Keep them coming. Uh, Gram at grimeamerica.com. Oh, and uh, one other thing. Big thanks to Pablo Pax, Mike Church, for uh, for all the music you heard in this episode. Yeah, thanks, buddy. That was I, great. Yeah, it was. I will. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget our uh, our our new clip clip uh, compliments of Aaron Yoho. So uh, big thanks to those guys. Uh, Gitmo Yoho. Gitmo Yoho. Follow that fucker <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's great, guys. We truly appreciate it. Uh, as always, the Money Bomb, slash Money Bomb. 
Uh, couple days for that, or we'll do a carryover. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. All right. And my email is uh, G-R-A-H-A-M at grimerica.ca. No, dot com. com. Dot com. Nice fucking try. <laughs> They're trying to get out of that shit. So, yeah. Thanks, buddy. That was another, another uh, fun time, bud. Yeah. Uh, as usual, guys, you'll find everything in the show notes. So... Thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Oh yeah, hang around, uh, hang around here after we wrap this up. I got. If you guys don't believe Doctor Easterbrook, maybe you'll believe Spock. <laughs> yeah, stay cool. Yeah. All right, guys, <laughs> stay cool. In 1977, the worst winter in a century struck the United States. Arctic cold gripped the Midwest for weeks on end. Great blizzards paralyzed cities of the Northeast. One desperate night in Buffalo, eight people froze to death in marooned cars. Pat Bushnell was on the road that night. Traffic just absolutely stopped. I was afraid of being stuck in the car all night long with the uh, cold and the wind running out of gas. And then what? I think that if we had to go through a real bad winter, just like we just went through, I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else. Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. Of the nine planets in our solar system, only Earth has conditions favorable to human life. Our existence depends on a delicate balance of climate. Despite our modern technology, we are vulnerable to the whims of weather and environment. Blanketing large areas of the Earth's surface, great storms are among nature's most frightening events. Uncontrollable tempests make us aware how fragile life on our planet really is. The comfortable cycle of spring sowing, summer growth, and fall harvest is, in terms of long history, abnormal. Only in the last 10,000 years has Earth enjoyed continuing warmth. Because of this, our population has exploded to 5 billion people. Most of the last million years, however, whole continents were buried by ice. As recently as 18,000 years ago, a mile-thick sheet stretched down from the Arctic Circle and covered what is now Seattle, Chicago, and Boston. New York Harbor was choked with ice flows. Winters were cold and snowy down to the Gulf of Mexico. All that remains of the great glaciers that once covered North America are the ice caps of the Canadian Arctic. 
If the ice spreads over the continent again, it is here on Baffin Island in northern Canada that the mysterious process will begin. We look to this lonely outpost for warnings of a new ice age. Straddling the Arctic Circle, Baffin Island is a harshly beautiful wilderness. It is larger than California, but not one tree grows on the entire island. The only vegetation is the stunted plant life of the tundra. Most of the inhabitants are Inuit Eskimos, whose ancestors migrated west from Greenland a thousand years ago. Today, the island is poised on the brink of Ice Age conditions, a critical signal post for changes in the Earth's climate. According to geologists, the last major Ice Age began on Baffin Island 115,000 years ago. Perpetual snow spread southward over the continents. The weight of many years of snow compressed into ice. The ice grew thicker until it covered Canada, the northern United States, and Europe to a depth of two miles. For 100,000 years, the ice remained over large areas of the continents. Then, it retreated to the Arctic. And for the last 10,000 years, we have flourished in a warm interglacial period. Our planet is crowded. What will we do when the fragile balance of climate shifts from today's abnormal warmth and the next ice age begins? One of the questions that I'm frequently asked is when will this present warm interval end? And the best answer to that probably is that it has in fact already ended and it ended 3,000 years ago right here on Baffin Island. Dr. Gifford Miller is a glaciologist from the University of Colorado. He's been studying the climate and glaciers of Baffin Island for the past six years. For the last 3,000 years, the summer temperatures have been getting colder and the amount of precipitation and rainfall and snowfall has decreased so that the conditions have been drier and colder. And at the same time, uh, the glaciers have expanded in the most recent expansion, which occurred between 300 Years ago, in the turn of the present century, the glaciers attained their most extensive positions that they had during the last 8,000 years. The summer of 1972 was one of the uh, most severe summers on record, and the ice never melted that summer. And when I returned to Broughton Island, one of the local settlements here, talking to the Inuit people, and they could only tell me that their fathers had told them of a time when the ice hadn't gone out. This once-in-a-lifetime summer ice has surprised old-time Arctic residents. Ernie Sieber is superintendent of Baffin Island National Park and has lived in the Arctic for over 20 years. We had, uh, in 1973, we had uh, ice all, uh, all over the East Coast. Uh, the fjords, uh, some of the ice in the fjords uh, didn't even leave. And uh, almost every year since, uh, we had... Uh, ice uh, moving in and out of the fjords, uh, so it looks like uh, the climate has changed. It looks like it, it turned colder. Since concern for our weather has increased, the park wardens now take daily records of temperatures, wind, and solar radiation. Weather data from stations all over the Arctic is collected and fed into central computers. 
balloons are launched every day to monitor the winds and temperatures at high altitudes. The data shows that average temperatures in the Arctic have fallen dramatically over the last 30 years. In most locations, the drop has been about 2 degrees centigrade. At that rate, the descent to ice age temperatures could take less than 200 years. It is not only the lonely Arctic that has cooled. The whole northern hemisphere is growing steadily colder. There is little doubt that someday the ice will return. At least eight times in the past million years, it has advanced and retreated with clockwork regularity. If we are unprepared for the next advance, the result could be hunger and death on a scale unprecedented in all of history. What scientists are telling us now is that the threat of an ice age is not as remote as they once thought. During the lifetime of our grandchildren, Arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert.